0: Track. Okay. Try again. Is this working? Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Is this it working. recording twice? Oh, I guess. You... I think so. We have writing utensils, okay. guys. We've had a whole thing. <laughs> Everything's being crazy. <laughs> Headphones aren't working. Pens and pencils can't be found. I do find that, like, I have
1: so I, I buy pens all the time, and they're only one of two places. They're either in my office or in my car, or I guess in my purse. Okay, and they're never anywhere to be found it's unbelievable it is
0: such a liberty to like have one place to put pens and pencils producer gets pissed all the time because he has like one really good pen and leaves it on his desk and then none of us can find pens so we take his pen (laughs) and then he'll be like who took my pen and then we're all like because we all took it at some point but we can't remember who didn't put it back oh my but what a luxury when you don't
1: have to go places what a luxury but you know what my life is filled with
0: You have tons of (laughs) pushpins.
1: It was really funny because I don't know a lot of other uh, literally just people who do my job. Right. And I was on the phone with one the other day and she was like, oh, yeah, you know, whenever people get in my car, they're like, why are there pushpins all over the floor? And I was like, that happens to me. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> i was pulling pranks on a teacher <laughs>
1: that's where Plastic it is classic thumbtack on the seat oh my gosh i have a pen literally in my pocket that works stop it throw
0: that dusty blue Half sharpie dead blue away. sharpie across um, okay but right. we're not here to talk about writing utensils this is getting wild
1: no this is history on
0: the rocks with katie and
1: allie this is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history and we talk
0: about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all All times and places because women have nuance. But
1: keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we are
0: not historians. Absolutely not. (laughs) No, 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 no. We really do our best. We've been doing it for a while, and I think we're getting better at it. I think so, too. People say that they listen to our show now and it's much more informative than it used to be. (laughs) Than it used to be. Well, that's nice to hear. Right.
1: I like to also think that um, the sources are getting better the longer we do this. Oh, yeah. Because
0: we know where to look. We know where to look. Guys, we're (laughs) getting so good. But you don't know where to look. So you're online trying to do a research paper. Yeah. And you lost your access to JSTOR. (laughs) And you know you can't use Wikipedia. So everything's just really going downhill. So you're busy. Yeah, You're very busy with that.
1: You don't want to dare open up one more goddamn tab on your computer (laughs) to look up what these women look like. So before we get into their stories, we're going to describe them for you so you can have a picture in your mind while we tell their story. (laughs) We're going to get a little physical, physical. Physical.
0: Ellie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing maleficent (laughs) the mistress of evil um we all know what she looks like she is a tall slender pale green skinned Mm -hmm. sometimes gray skinned woman with a narrow face and a prominent chin she's like darkly beautiful and like icily elegant in disney's version she is like so much taller then everyone around her, she like, yeah. dwarfs the people around her, and she's got these yellow eyes and these black horns, which you can't be quite sure whether they're on her head or just part of a headdress. We don't yeah. know how satanic she really is. And um, she's clad in black and purple robes and carries a staff with a glowing green orb, and I just think she's lovely Ah, the farces
1: of evil (laughs) i think (laughs) that might be one of our most quoted movies but it's all like the things that the little goblins say yeah
0: no (laughs) no, nobody knows what we're actually talking about when we do that she's got a nice little raven she can a nice ring too oh she can
1: turn into Mm. a dragon (laughs) she's
0: really got it all (laughs) i love
1: maleficent and i love that she is hot
0: yeah, let's be clear. She's so sexy. She's really sexy. Yeah, she's and like femme fatale. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And
1: I always loved that, like she was a very attractive person. Because I feel like Disney has a problem with being like they're the bad person, so they're like ugly, you right. know. And it looks like,
0: well. That's not nice. Yeah, that's the way that, like, <laughs> children's books are. It's Exactly. Like, and that kid was the bad kid, so yeah. he's got a horse face. Yeah. And you're like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> that was not <laughs> nice. I don't like that. Um, but your person's the exact opposite because she looks wild in all that Christian art. Tell uh-huh. me about it. Tell me about it. So
1: I am doing Empress Theodora, um, Empress of the Byzantine Empire. And yes, she... All the images we have from her are in these gorgeous mosaics, which depict her with these very large almond-shaped eyes, a long shapely nose, thin lips, dark eyebrows. She has long robes on with lots of jewels. She's holding a goblet, and she has this ornate headpiece on. And obviously, like, we can't really know exactly what she looked like based on these um, There's only so much you can do with tiles and jewels. (laughs) Only so much. Um, But we know that she was hottie, hot hottie, super beautiful. It was known literally throughout the Byzantine Empire, like, how fucking gorgeous she was but yeah but that's like all I really know is that she was like super gorgeous and now she is mainly featured in this like tile based Christian art in these ancient chapels (laughs) um yeah and that's what I what I know I love it I love it
0: this is quite a little night for me (laughs) I'm happy with tonight with Disney and the Byzantine Empire could I be more myself yeah it's wonderful (laughs)
1: Perfect. So, do you want to know what you're about to drink? I would love to. Okay. This is called Byzantine Bitch. Um, and it is bourbon, chai simple syrup, Pims, orange bitters, and lime juice all mm. mixed together. Cheers.
0: Mmm. Mmm. I love it. I like that a lot. It's a little bit deep. Mm-hmm. You can't really taste the citrus. mm Mmm but I think it cuts
1: through some of the other
0: stuff. Oh yeah. I like it a lot. Hmm. Yeah. That's good. You said chai tea, a chai, simple syrup. It's really nice. You can definitely taste that. I think that puts a nice like flavor on the back end of it. Yeah. Just like a little bit of spice
1: without it being like totally like, you know, in your face. Yes. (gasps) All right. So what do
0: you know about Empress Theodora? Okay. (laughs) So I know she was married to Justinian who is one of the most famous emperors from the Byzantine empire. Uh, I know that I I think she was a woman of ill repute Uh before they were together. Uh I think... Well, I know that Justinian wrote, like, a famous law book, like, The Code of Justinian. But, like, she was so influential in his rule, and people often, like, talk about how famous he was as an emperor, Mm -hmm. and they kind of disregard, like, her as his literal wife. Oh, yeah.
1: And... I like. I was honestly shocked by her story. Cause it's really I've good. Never heard of her before. which yeah, is bananas. Th-
0: it's part of the seventh grade curriculum, which is why I know so much about it. Oh, but fine. Uh, well, the Byzantine Empire is, okay. and then you have to select a couple people to teach about. And I always look for a couple women. I mm-hmm. always look for a couple like people who were in lower class positions because it's usually like who was the most famous emperor. So, like, she's one of the women that really stuck out in the Byzantine Empire. So, I was like, let me do a day on her. Yeah. But I can't get into the nitty-gritty because they're in seventh grade. Oh, yeah. They're like, what is a woman of ill repute? And I'm like, well. (laughs) Well, let's get into it. Um, My sources
1: today are the Queen's podcast. They did such a good episode on her. And then Wikipedia and a Hidden Histories documentary on YouTube. Um, So, yeah, those were my main sources. And I, unlike Allie, have not taught seventh grade history, so I don't know anything about the Byzantine Empire. (laughs) So if there are any fun facts you want to add in, just pepper them in as you see fit.
0: (laughs) Rome fell apart. There you go. Got put back together as a Christian empire. (laughs) Done. (laughs) That's the whole story. (laughs)
1: All right. So Theodora was born around five hundred AD, most likely like four hundred ninety-seven, four ninety-eight, uh somewhere in the Mediterranean. Some historians say she was born in Syria, others say Cyprus, uh, while some say Paphlagonia, which is where modern Turkey is. Oh, that was the other thing I wanted to say in her physical description. She's like a Middle Eastern woman. Right. So that's what also what I wanted to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, cuz the capital of the Byzantine Empire is in Turkey. It's in Constantinople.
1: Constantinople. Yeah. Yes. So this whole story will take place in Constantinople. It is in modern Turkey. Just to be clear. Modern <laughs> Istanbul. Yes. <laughs> um but no matter where she was born, her life was bound to be interesting. Her father, Acacius, was a bear trainer for the Hippodrome in Constantinople. Shut up. A bear trainer. a bear trainer. And her mother was a dancer and an actress. So the Hippodrome, for just a little bit of history, was this stadium that could seat 100,000 people and was mainly used for chariot racing, which was the main
0: sport of the day. If you're curious what it looks like, watch Mm Ben-Hur. Mm-hmm and
1: like and obviously chariot racing is the main event but it was also just kind of like a jack-of-all-trades like stadium so a lot of different things could happen in here it's like the cultural hub of Constantinople and in this cultural hub you had two different factions that were basically like the different teams that you could support the blue and the green so all of the events also kind of were based in this rivalry And I had a little bit of a hard time understanding this whole concept, but it almost seems like the teams were mixed with the political parties. So, like, on the surface, it's like, well, I want the blue chariot racer to win, but also, like, it stands for, like, everything that I personally believe in. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) It's like if the Democrats and Republicans had football teams exactly right
1: <laughs> so it's army versus navy <laughs> exactly um so Acacia's her father trained bears for the green faction so growing up diehard green family they're like we only support green things <laughs> now we don't know her mother's name but we know that she would not have been very well respected as a woman of the stage so we always talk about how back in the day people didn't want their daughters to become actresses even in like the 1800s because they thought it was akin to prostitution. And now I'm kind of realizing this may have come from like this particular era (laughs) Um, because if a man of high status was at the theater and saw a woman on stage he desired, he could in fact purchase her for sex after the show. Mm. So it was like they were actresses and also they were for sale. So they did actually, there was a time in history when those two things went hand in hand. So the whole
0: show was like a commercial for your body. Basically. Cool.
1: (laughs) Um, And it's like, you know, for some people it's like, you know, obviously for the wealthy people, you're for sale. But then for the, everyone else it's like, Oh, this is just fun entertainment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this is the world that Theodora and her two sisters, Comito and Anastasia were born into. But when Theodora was five years old, her father passed away. Her mother remarried quickly to another animal wrangler, but he did not make as much money as her first husband. So like maybe he's just wrangling like dogs, Mm. you know, just like something that's not as intense as lesser animals. So she went to the leaders of the green faction and said, look, I got this new husband. Can you just give him my old husband's job since it's obviously vacant? Now, like, Mm -hmm. can he be the new bear trainer? He's another wrangler. And they said, Oh, I'm sorry. The position's already been filled because, like, this other dancer, like, apparently gave them money to give, like, someone else the job. Okay. So lots of little annoying political things. Um, So she is really pissed because she's like, I thought the Green Faction was going to have my back, and they totally didn't. So she went to the Blue Faction, and she basically was like... I have this problem, I have three daughters, can you find my husband a job? And the Blue Faction was like, absolutely, we'll find work for him. So then after that, Theodore was a diehard Blue supporter for her entire life. But money was still tight, so Theodore's mother taught her three daughters the art of the stage. And for them, of course, that meant the art of sex work. Some say that Theodora was just 10 years old when she started working, but she may have been 12 or 14. Um, It was most likely when she started puberty, she was put on the stage and therefore also for sale. We don't know quite how her sisters fared in their new careers, but Theodora was a natural, which feels... Awful to say uh-huh. about a teen girl working in the sex industry, but here we are. Theodora was soon the most popular stage performer in Constantinople. Her talent was undeniable. Her beauty was breathtaking. And she was also very comfortable with onstage nudity, which people seemed to like. She was most well-known for her performance in the play *Leda and the Swan. Now, one person who recorded her story really hated her (laughs) and he wrote a version of her life that gave graphic graphic depictions of the things that she would do on stage so in one of his stories he said that she would get on stage with a live swan pour animal feed onto her bare vagina and have the swan eat it off of her
0: Sounds like a good day on
1: now, Tinder. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that just sounds dangerous. Yeah. And I
0: don't know if Swan. I don't know. I just. Swan is not a good call there. That no. seems very dangerous. Maybe like. Very dangerous. I don't know. I don't even
1: want to prophesy. I about, don't want to. Yeah, theorize. Even theorize about this. Because also like we know that this guy. Didn't like her. He really didn't like her. And so it's kind of seems like just he takes every chance to like take jabs at her.
0: It's interesting because anytime a woman takes advantage of the situation that she's been given or or like the situation that she's earned, like there is going to be a man that says something about it. That's like Mm -hmm. what happened on Fox yesterday. Remember they were talking trash about Chelsea Handler. But no, one of the Fox News guys like went off the handle about how she's a bad woman because she doesn't want to have kids. He was like, "You can just tell she's miserable." She's like, "I'm like the happiest person." <laughs> I don't get I, it. I follow
1: her on Instagram. I she's know. a very happy person. Yeah, she's
0: a very happy person. He's like, "She's so lonely because she doesn't want to have kids." Is it's like that calm why? down because she did
1: post this whole video about like a day in the life of a child-free woman. Yes, that. <laughs> yeah, yes. that was a response uh-huh. to that. Yeah, that's so fucking good I know I love it Um, and Theodora was also famous for her parties um, where she would throw after the plays were done and she would entertain most of Constantinople's wealthy elite not just their swans (laughs) Um, so yeah so we do know that when she's young she is an actress and a sex worker so that is like the whole like first part of her story um, and of course, like, especially around this time, this work kind of work can often lead to having children. Um, and it is believed that she had a daughter by the time she was 16, who she named Theodora Jr. So TJ, Hell um, yes. which I love <laughs> And some sources say she also had a son. And then some say that she had multiple abortions. Cause we do know that like even back then, like women were having abortions. like yeah. they they were happening.
0: and when you're using your body pretty much like exclusively to make money, it is yeah. it's not only pressure from you but from the people around you that you work with, especially if you're so your well livelihood. loved. yeah, mm-hmm. as an actress. Mm.
1: So it was around this time that she decided to retire from the stage because she had caught the attention of a wealthy man named Hecabolus. She became his mistress, and she traveled with him to northern Africa, modern-day Libya, where he became the governor of a town called Pentapolis. She stayed with him for about four years, um, wasn't allowed to marry him because she was not of the same social status, but she also suffered through a lot of abuse with him he's hitting her. He's not very nice to her. They're just fighting all the time. Like this is a really rough couple of years. And then in 521, he just threw her and her daughter out of his home. So with a toddler in tow, she made her way to Alexandria. And it was in the deserts of Alexandria where Theodora would find a group of people that would change her life. They were the Monophysites. This was an early branch of Christianity that believed that Jesus Christ's nature was purely divine. This was different from the other sect who believed that he was both divine and human. Mm-hmm. So this caused like a super huge rift in like the early church. Early church. Um, so now she was a monophysite who they were kind of like the outskirts, you know. Um, Are
0: they like the Mormons?
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. We'll call them the Mormons. <laughs> so she converted to monophysitism and made her way next to Antioch, where she met a blue faction dancer named Macedonia. Antioch was a powerful city in Syria that was full of political intrigue, and some think that Macedonia was a spy for the current emperor of Constantinople, Justin First. This might be how she was able to get her new friend Theodora back into Constantinople and get her a new job as a wool spinner because obviously now with her new religious, you know, beliefs, sex work and acting was kind of out of the question. But some people also wonder if maybe she was a wool spinner by day and a spy with Macedonia by night because one way or another, Macedonia introduces Theodora to the next great man in her life. Justinian, the heir to the Byzantine Empire. Justinian is also a very interesting character in history. So, Theodora is considered a Cinderella story, but he He is is also a Cinderella story. It's so crazy. (laughs) So, his mother, Vigilantia, also what? Great name. Badass name. 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 I love it. Uh Perfect. Um, His mother was the sister of of a man named Justin who was the commander of the imperial guards before he eventually became emperor we're not going to get into that story because it's not history on the rocks but once he became emperor he needed an heir sorry I don't know if he just didn't have any kids of his own or what the deal was but he tapped his nephew on the shoulder and was like I am adopting you your name is Justinian now and you're going to be the emperor after I die So Justinian, who was literally born to two farmers, (laughs) Mm -hmm. is like, I guess I'm going to the big city and I'm... It's like if you were born in like the middle of a hayfield in Kansas and someone was like, hey, would you mind filling in? The King of England needs an heir. Yeah. And you're like, like, okay. (laughs) Okay. So he goes there at 11 and begins his official education and royal training. And somehow this, we'll call him a prince, (laughs) finds his way to meeting Theodora, perhaps through the spy network. And he falls head over heels in love with her. Not only is she beautiful, but she is witty, she is intelligent, and she seems to have this boundless energy that matches his. And she's worldly, which is cool. Yeah. And he can just see them doing great things together. She quickly becomes his mistress, but Justinian wanted more. He wanted her to be his wife. He wanted her to one day rule beside him. But there's one big problem. Government employees are not allowed to marry actresses. Not just sex workers, actresses. It's very specific, which I think is funny. But it's really just a general, like, you can't really marry out of of your your social class. Out of your social class, um. So, he went to his uncle, Justin, which sounds so <laughs> modern. So <laughs> modern. <laughs> hey, Jesse. Jesse. Um. And he asked him, please change this rule for me. Like, very Henry the eighth of him. And even though basically the whole government was against changing this rule, Justin was convinced. Therefore, in 524, the new law was that government employees can marry actresses if The Emperor approves it personally, which not only helps Theodora out, but it also guarantees that her illegitimate daughter can also marry well when she gets older. And it also, frankly, helped a lot of women out. So many women who had left the acting profession were often not allowed to marry who they wanted because they were too high-ranking. So now they had a way to marry up in society, which was a huge fucking step for them. It was almost like the ice was broken, and it was like, okay, I can move up socially. I am not stuck in this thing that was basically assigned to me when I was... I mean, she was thrown into that work when she was... At
0: the youngest ten, yeah, th- I mean, at it the inc- oldest fourteen, it, it like increased the social mobility. Like yeah, it made it, exactly, it gave people the chance to change social class, which they just couldn't before. Specifically, women. Oh yeah, exactly. So, um,
1: and it also guaranteed the rights for children born mm-hmm. of these women and these unions. So, like, this is—I I just want to make it clear that this is this has multi-generational ripple effects. This movement. All right, Justin. <gasps> Okay, so, and with that, the sex worker and the farmer's son got married. (laughs) And in 527, when Emperor Justin died, they became one of the most powerful couples in the world. And they decided to show their loyalty to each other in a joint coronation. Um, And not only is he just, like, right off the bat, like, We're both getting coronated. We're both doing everything together. Um, But it is said that he did not have any mistresses, didn't have any girlfriends, no concubines, like nothing like that. Like he was never with
0: anyone but Theodora. And And it's because he wasn't raised in that, the way that you, like the, the higher nobility believed that you should act. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think that that's what made them such a power couple. It's like neither of them, were from the like fucked up power structure that <laughs> had been ruling before it broke they the came mold in with fresh eyes now Justinian considered her his true equal and made her a part of every decision that was made, even legislation was signed by the both of them, like she had her own separate seal that she would put alongside his on every single fucking document that was like he approves it, and I approve it, which is so powerful Mm -hmm. i just that's insane it's like it's unheard of i mean a lot of you know wives don't Mm -hmm. have that power no and anytime a new official was being like sworn into the government they had to pledge allegiance to justin justinian and to theodora they had to pledge allegiance to both of them and she's not just co-signing on shit that he's doing she is also doing stuff on her own we know that she carried on correspondence with other leaders from around the world. She like like a lot of first ladies now. Like she's kind of in charge of like hosting other people because like he was like I don't want to do that and mm-hmm. she's like great I'll do that I love that I love so, parties I'm good yeah. at parties. <laughs> um, and she was behind some of like the biggest reforms and together they wrote the Code of Justinian and one of the first things that it did was that this new code overhauled the existing laws and got rid of anything that was contradictory or simply out of date. Great idea. Yeah, the code- I love that
0: idea. (laughs) The code of Justinian was so revolutionary because a lot of kings would just come in and start new laws, but the problem was the old laws never went off the law books. Exactly. So, like, Justinian, like, actually employed a whole bunch of people and his wife to, like, sit down and be like, Let's look at these laws and see which ones contradict. And then, hi, you're a lawyer. Why don't you get rid of the ones that contradict? And then we can all decide which ones are fair.
1: Exactly. It's just like so (laughs) smart and
0: common sense. Yeah. (laughs) He was just taking the common sense that he had learned, like growing up in a normal farming family. Like, Mm -hmm. well, why not just get rid of the shit we're not using if we don't use it anymore? Exactly. So some other cool things that Theodora did
1: was she made it illegal for parents to sell their young girls into slavery slavery or prostitution. She made rape punishable by death. She made brothels illegal. And she ended up, because a lot of these women then were losing their livelihood, she goes, oh, well, I'm just going to buy you then. I'm going to buy you. So that way, like, you have kind of like a startup fund of like... I'm going to like give you that money. And so also it was a way to like not totally collapse the economy Mm -hmm. because she was like, I don't want to just like make a ton of people without jobs suddenly. Like even like the men who are running the brothels. Mm -hmm. So like she was like, I'm going to do this carefully because she's like, I've been there. I know that you can't just be like, it's illegal and women are free. She's like, okay, but like what now? What now? Like (laughs) Uh she knew that. People needed a little help in starting this new life that mm. was like not what they'd been doing, which well, I
0: fucking love. And some of the exact wording from the Justinian Code. Is used in um, countries around the world in their law books today. Really, the U.S. has exact phrases. France, do you know? Um, Russia. I, I know an example? No, I. I mean, I had a document that I gave to my kids. I'd have to. I'd have to show it to you and pull it up. But there are. I mean, there are hundreds. And there's. There's what two hundred countries? I would say about a hundred countries have literal phrases that have been passed down through the years that we just still use from these two writing these laws.
1: It's just, it's so cool. And I also think it's what happens when you get a group kind of decide, like with different opinions and different backgrounds
0: being like, what makes the most sense? Like Mm -hmm. what, works for the most people and it's like hey i don't understand this but you're a lawyer you understand it mm-hmm. or like oh but you're a lawyer but you so you don't understand what it's like to be a farmer yeah So or it's like, like you've never
1: been a sex worker you don't understand what it's like to just suddenly have the rug pulled out from under you and like right.
0: then your whole job is gone like <laughs> yeah it's a really interesting way of like putting so many seats at the table and like yeah. that now we still use that wording yeah i love it Um, And then
1: she also really fought hard for women's rights and marriages, like, you know, divorcing their husbands and, like, what happened when their husbands died? Like, she made a law that women got their dowry backs if their husbands died before them,
0: which people didn't know was a problem. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, hey, I gave you all my money so that you would marry me, and now I have nothing because you died. Yep. Yep. And also uh, killing your wife
1: uh, over adultery was now illegal, which is super nice. So overall, women were treated just a hell of a lot better publicly and privately during this time. Like men were treating their wives better because now they had more power in the relationship Mm. because they weren't just like basically indentured servants
0: (laughs) and also i mean also they had a like a an example the highest person in government is saying i love and respect my wife when you see people doing it it's easier to do it exactly
1: um and it's just like for the first time ever if a woman was being mistreated she felt like she could literally call on the empress for help and she would help her which is a really cool fucking feeling um but of course um you know Theodora is not a perfect person. Like a lot of people we cover. Yeah. And so she's like very in on like, you know, they're doing the most good for like the women in her country, but then she would use marriages, um, to expand her power. Um, so she would marry her nieces off to like government officials without their consent. Right. <laughs> Which kind of sucked. And like, I don't think the nieces really appreciated this. Um, you know, they were like, why do all the regular women get more rights? And I feel like I'm getting less. Yeah. I mean,
0: you know, and it is the way it is. Yeah. You know, like you're still a politician at that that high level and other countries expect you to marry your kids off to them. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, and I also like, just
1: want to be clear that like, she's not a per, like, I just want to make that clear that she's not like this, like amazing benevolent, like, yeah, sinless figure. Um, Now, Justinian and Theodore did not agree on everything. In fact, they were technically of different religious groups. He was of the Chalcedonian faith, and she was a a monophysite, like we said earlier. Oh, and don't they
0: have different chariot
1: followings? (laughs) Uh, Well, they're on the same, like, they both kind of support the blues. Okay. You know, which becomes a problem later. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Um, But in one famous story of their clashing religious views... Theodora found out that he planned to send a group of Chalcedonian missionaries somewhere and she was like, I don't think so. So she went to the guy in charge of sending the missionaries out and she's like, here's what's going to happen. You're going to send my monophysite missionaries to the place a few weeks beforehand (laughs) so that way when the chalcedonians get there everyone's already converted like i'm just gonna you know sneak attack my missionaries (laughs) the minister guy was like much more afraid of disobeying theodora than justinian because Justinian was known as like a very like benevolent person. Like Mm -hmm. he was kind of easygoing, kind of like he was a good listener, I will say. Um, And Theodora was a a little more actionable. (laughs) She knew what she wanted and she got it. Exactly. And she wanted more people to be monophysite. (laughs) Theodora was also known for hiding members of her religion who were being persecuted in the palace. So one man was this guy who i don't i think he was maybe a missionary or a priest and he was being persecuted so she's like come to the palace i'll hide you and she hid him and protected him for 12 years
0: oh my gosh (laughs) just like he came into and was like sanctuary it's like an esmeralda situation exactly wow exactly
1: uh some people love this power couple so much that they claim that They just pretended to fight about religion in public, you know, just like for the optics. But I don't know. I could see it, but Mm. I don't know. Maybe (laughs) she did have one real enemy, though. uh, John the Cappadocian, who was the emperor's um, accountant, basically. He was the tax guy and Theodora did not like him. Because he was a real dick (laughs) to people who literally couldn't make ends meet and afford their taxes. Think the sheriff of Nottingham. Ew. But he's physically torturing people and raping people who can't pay up.
0: So he's not just taking money from little mice in churches? No. He's also <laughs> raping them. Like, I hate that even more. Awful, awful. <laughs> I hate awful. that more.
1: And it's just, like, really terrible because, like, one of the things that was said about him was, like, no, like, virgins or children were left, like, unturned when he came to your house. I'm like, that's so fucking terrible. I just hate this person so much. Um, He sucks. Theodora knows it. And Justinian, though, is, like... You know how there are some people that like you try and tell your spouse like they're a bad person and your spouse is like, what? No, they're fine. Like
0: this was their guy. (laughs) I've over flooded the market with that. I (laughs) go with the producer, every person I meet, I'm like, I don't really like (laughs) them. And I think at this point he's like, okay, yeah. But then when I'm right, but then when you're right,
1: which is always,
0: he's like, okay. You're right.
1: Theodore was right in this case. Okay. But we're going to leave him. More on him later. Because in 532 AD, the power couple would face their biggest challenge. So since the beginning of their reign, Justinian and Theodora had been trying to bridge the gap between the greens and the blues. But there was a problem they were both more kind of aligned with the blues. So a lot of the legislation they would pass, a lot of the things they would do were kind of lean in that direction. Time for a riot, baby! Uh And, like, this made the Greens feel isolated and like that no one had their best interest in mind in the government. So what was happening was the violence in the streets was getting worse. So imagine, like... You know, literal, like, blue and green gangs in the street and, like, it's just Trouble's fucking brewing.
0: When you're a blue, you're a blue all the way. <laughs> exactly. From your first
1: cigarette to your last dying day. And day. Exactly. So, in one particular, like, fight in the streets, government officials were murdered. And Justinian is like, okay, I have to put my foot down. This is so ridiculous. And he arrests the, like, these blues and greens, both from both parties for murder. He goes, you're all involved in this. It was like, I don't know, like seven guys or something. And he's like, you're all involved in this. You're all murderers. You need to be executed by hanging, right? Like, please stop murdering. Mm -hmm. So the day comes, everyone gathers around. The execution begins, but one of the scaffolding collapses. And one green guy and one blue guy survive and escape. The crowd goes wild because, like, these guys are running through. The crowd is protecting them. They're, like, funneling them out because, obviously, the soldiers are trying to catch these criminals. Mm -hmm. And they help the men escape to a church to receive sanctuary. Mm. So two days after this, Justinian and Theodora, they attend a chariot race at the Hippodrome, and he saw this as a way to be like, okay, I solved the problem, I killed these guys for murdering the government officials, like, everything should be fine now, like, let's get back to normal. But the people saw it as their opportunity to fucking riot. (laughs) Greens and blues alike storm the hippodrome. They're fighting each other. They're fighting the guards. They're throwing things at the emperor and the empress, all while yelling Nika, Nika, which means victory. These would later be called the Nika riots. And basically, what this meant was the people's victory over this government that they felt was corrupt and not focused on
0: their best interests. Do you know that's where Nike comes from? No. Yeah, victory. <gasps> Nike. I love uh-huh. that i did not know yeah that. it comes from the byzantine ah. the greek words yeah I mean, I so many things in this story Amazing. um <laughs> so
1: Justinian gets very scared as he should be he escapes through their tunnel back to the palace and when they get there they realize that the people have fully revolted and have basically set fire to the entire city of constantinople mm. they are murdering people they're looting buildings they f- Storm the prisons. They free the criminals. I hate fire so much. Ugh, and they just generally run amok for three days with their base being the hippodrome. So, like, all the riot leaders are basically camped out in the hippodrome, and that's kind of where the revolutionary headquarters are. So, it's like, it's like base and tag. Exactly. So, Justinian is like, I'm sure they'll get tired and stop soon. But they didn't. (laughs) So then he's like, all right, guys, I'm going to do something. And he goes out and he goes, I'll fire my tax man who's been raping and murdering everyone and torturing them. And they're like, that's all you have to offer us? No, thanks. Um, That's not going to fucking cut it. (laughs) So John the Cappadocian's job is saved. Fucking lame. Uh, And they're like, we're past that, dude. We're past you just firing one corrupt government official. Like, we want this whole thing done. We've even picked a new emperor. And, like, here he is. I forgot to write his name down. (laughs) Eh, But whatever. Um, But they're like, this is our new emperor. So you need to vacate your office so that he can take over. And you know what? It was kind of working. He and the rest of the government kind of looked at each other and they're like, cool. So um, flee, right? Yes, let's all run away. Uh, that seems like the right call. Okay, bye guys. See you in exile. Let me know how it goes. And so literally all the men are like, all right, let's run away. And Theodora stands up and is like, are you fucking kidding me? We are not running away and she famously gives this very empowering speech she says my lords the present occasion is too serious to allow me to follow the convention that a woman should not speak in a man's council those whose interests are threatened by extreme danger should think only of the wisest course of action not of conventions in my opinion flight is not the right course even if it should bring us to safety. It is impossible for a person having been born into this world not to die, but for one who has reigned, it is intolerable to be a fugitive. May I never be deprived of this purple robe, and may I never see the day when those who meet me do not call me Empress. If you wish to save yourself, my lord, there is no difficulty. We are rich, over there is the sea, and yonder are the ships yet reflect for a moment whether when you have once escaped to a place of security you would not gladly exchange such safety for death as for me i agree that the royal purple is the noblest shroud so she's basically saying i would rather fucking die for my nobility than run away and like live as a normal person which she's already lived as an normal person. Yeah, she's like, she I knows. know it sucks. Like, I'm not going back. <laughs> oh, let's stay and fight. Come on. But I also love that she's like, yeah, of course you can run away. You can escape all of this. Like, you have money. You're going to be fine. But, like, you will never have this level of power again. So, like, let's fucking stay and fight for this. Because she's the only person who's known what it's like not to have that. Right. Like all these other guys have been basically born into their positions. So, like, they're like, Yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine. And she goes, No, it won't be fine. You'll fucking hate it.
0: Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. So the
1: government is like, You're right. <laughs> I <laughs> love being in power. And they rally the troops and basically give orders to Daenerys Targaryen, the fucking <laughs> city. They go, Go to ash it the up the hippodrome, kill everyone in sight. So they do. They kill 30,000 civilians and some say as little as a day.
0: Yeah. It's like the bloodiest day of the Byzantine Empire. And that lasted for like a thousand years. Yeah. Uh, so
1: obviously it worked because they basically had no citizens left after that. Um, and to celebrate their victory, Justinian and Theodora went on a little building bender because they obviously had to rebuild Constantinople (laughs) because it had burned to the ground. They built aqueducts, bridges, more than 25 churches. The most famous of which is the Hagia Sophia, which is one of the architectural wonders of the world. Still there. Still there still so fucking cool you can it's go
0: in it on google beautiful. earth beautiful i took my beautiful. kids on a virtual field trip <laughs> that's
1: nice <laughs> and so they're doing all this they're rebuilding but one of the kind of after facts of this or after effects of this is that they got a lot more insular after this whole incident they really didn't feel like they could trust everyone And Theodora, especially, got a little crazy with the whole like, make sure everyone knows who's in charge thing. (laughs) She became very strict about the order of ceremonies. This is a quote from one of the history books about her Not even the government officials could approach the Empress without expending much time and effort. They were treated like servants and kept waiting in a small, stuffy room for an endless time. After many days, days of waiting, some of them might at last be summoned. But going into her presence in great fear, they very quickly departed. They simply showed their respect by lying face down and touching the instep of each of her feet with their lips so they have to lay on the floor and kiss her feet. And there was no opportunity to speak or to make any requests unless she told them to do so. The government officials had sunk into a slavish condition and she was their slave instructor so she would literally just like keep them waiting and then if she did finally call them in she's like kiss my feet and then stand in the corner and be quiet until I tell you to talk and again this could last for days and they did it they were so fucking afraid of her
0: (laughs) and because she saved all their jobs and lives yeah like also like you remember they were prepared to run away forever and she like exactly it she also
1: established an entire network of spies because she again didn't fucking trust anyone anymore she also took a lot more tours of her empire and she would take this ginormous posse with her everywhere she went so that the whole empire would basically get a taste of what she was all about So things were back on track, and then another tragedy happens. One that hits a little closer to home for us now. A plague hit Constantinople. A plague so awful, so deadly, that it was later named the Justinian Plague. Which, like, that sucks. Yeah. (laughs) It is said that it killed 13% of the population and Justinian and Theodora tried their best to contain it. They opened up hospitals and places where people could access what limited health care they had, but it was just devastating. So soon they had to change those hospitals to funeral homes because so many people were dying every day. And then another really sad part of this is that a lot of people started to commit suicide because their lives had been decimated. So like, Some people are like, I'm not even going to wait for this fucking thing to take me. Like, I'm out. Like, it sucked. Even the emperor got the plague. Justinian got so sick that he ended up in a catatonic state. And, of course, when the emperor is away, vultures start to creep around. (laughs) Suddenly, all these power-hungry men are showing up to court, just putting in a good word for themselves in case the emperor kicks the bucket. So not only... Is Theodora horribly worried about her husband, who she loves so much, but now she's fending off these men who want to take over, and she's also still trying to get a handle on this awful pandemic that is sweeping her country. So if there was any inkling of someone trying to make a move, she would just have their head chopped off immediately. Those spies that she has are really coming in handy right now. (laughs) But then after a few weeks, Justinian wakes up. He survives the plague, which most people in Constantinople, like, saw as a clear sign from God that he was the rightful ruler. Like, this was kind of a good thing on their part. Right. Because who else could survive this thing than yeah. God's chosen one? Like, that's crazy. Um, but even after he awoke, uh, there was another takeover attempt. Our old friend, John the Cappadocian popped up again to try and take over because apparently he had gone to a fortune teller who told him that he would one day take up the mantle of Augustus. He said awesome that means I'll one, be, one day obviously be taking over as emperor since Augustus and was another word for emperor so he gathers a group of people to support him and he starts to make his move. Theodora obviously hears about this <laughs> Um, But because he's high ranking, she can't just assassinate him. So she starts to, again, like try and convince Justinian that like he's bad news. He needs to get rid of him. She's like, look, this guy's bad. I think we should just send him away. Like he can't be trusted. And Justinian just does not believe her. It's so wild because sometimes no matter how equal you and your partner are, there are just some things especially people I feel like that you just won't agree on you just stick on it yeah so she's like okay I obviously have to do something else so she sends her right arm spy lady to basically go to John's daughter and lay a trap so she's talking to John's daughter and she is like you know like I think that we should take over the throne. And she goes, that's so funny. My dad wants to take over the throne. And she goes, do you want to work together? And she goes, yes. So she goes to her dad and she's like, this girl's on board and she's in the inner circle. And he's like, wonderful. Not realizing that this is obviously a total fucking trap. Idiot. <laughs> so the right arm spy, spy lady says, why don't you meet up with my husband? Like I'll give you his, address. You guys can write letters back and forth describing your plans, which of course she forwards to Theodora. (laughs) And it all kind of culminates in a meeting that they're going to have. So Theodora takes these letters and she sent, she gives them to Justine and she's like, I literally don't know how much more proof you need. And if you want even a little more proof or you just want to take advantage of this, I've set up a meeting. And I think it was like Antioch or something. Mm-hmm. She was like, I've set up this meeting uh, that he thinks is like a spy meeting to usurp your throne. So do what you want with that information. Justinian's like, <sighs> fine. You're <We're> right. <laughs> Damn it. You're right. I um, thought I was free this Wednesday, <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I'm not. Um, so he sends his troops to capture. John the Cappadocian. But rather than killing him, he sends him off to prison and then exiles him. And he eventually goes into the priesthood, which kind of like guarantees that he wouldn't try anything like this again because mm-hmm. like now he's made an oath to God, so like he kind of has to stay there or something like that. I don't know. Um and so I only tell this part of the story because he gets into this monastery He's taking his vows, but he is literally so poor at this point because he's ruined his fucking life that he can't afford the robes to take his vows in. So this guy is like, Oh my God, you don't have robes? He goes, Look, I have an extra pair. You can have them. So nice to meet you, John. My name is Augustus. Shut (laughs) up. So the prophecy came true. He took up the mantle. Of Augusta.
0: Perfect.
1: But it seems like this would be. The last victory for Theodora. Because on June 28th. 548 Theodora. Died at the age of 48. Maybe 51. Her cause of death was listed as cancer. And many suspect it was breast cancer. Because she's described as having a long illness. And kind of um, some tumors on her body. Mm -hmm. Um. So she dies and Justinian is obviously devastated. He openly weeps at her funeral and he never took another wife or lover and spent the rest of his life trying to make peace between the Chalcedonians and the Monophysites because that's what Theodora would have wanted. After her death, many different people wrote about her life, some in very positive ways and others in very degrading ways, obviously. But even if some people did believe that she fucked a swan or whatever it was, we have so much proof that she was a powerful, influential figure that there's literally no denying her strength and her influence.
0: Oh, but people try. They try. It's upsetting. They
1: <laughs> love to try and take this away from They're her. Like, hey, yeah, yeah, she was just some rich guy's wife. Mm. She is a saint of the Greek Orthodox Church, and she is forever enshrined in the Basilica of San Vitale of Ravenna in Italy. She is portrayed in a bejeweled mosaic to honor the queen that she truly was. And next to her is her husband and co ruler, Justinian. And the most important part about their mosaics is that they are the same size to remind people forever that they were equal. (laughs) Equal!
0: They're always next to each other.
1: And that is the story of Theodora.
0: <laughs> so fun. I learned some details I definitely didn't know, which oh, I'm really good. excited about. Because I didn't know that you knew about her. Mm-hmm. So then
1: when you said that, I got nervous during no. Your story. <laughs> no, I
0: mean, listen. I, I never go as in-depth on any of these women as I do when I'm researching the yeah. show. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like... It was really nice to hear it from beginning to end. I knew, like, the fun things about her and, like, the Justinian Code stuff. And, yeah. you know, the it's sex cool. worker stuff. She it is just... cool. You forget that, like, women like that existed. Yeah. And, like, women today, leaders, when they're put into power, their wives aren't allowed to sign shit. Like, she was very powerful. Yeah. I very. just love it. Yeah. Well, All right. are you ready for more drinks? Yes, let's do it. Part two. Of a fictional nature. <laughs> back part two part
1: two what a wild looking cocktail I
0: know <laughs> I needed to do a cocktail that was just as like vivacious yeah. and like amazing as Maleficent just for fun yeah so what is this okay so this is like a very curvy champagne-esque wine glass uh-huh. and inside of it on top of ice you shake Vodka and black raspberry liqueur and top it with Sprite. But then on the rim, (laughs) you have green icing and chocolate jimmies covering the green icing. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. then on a cocktail skewer, you use a black raspberry and some basil leaves to make like the bat wings. (laughs) I love it. Cheers. Cheers.
1: Mm. I mean, I think it tastes good. It's good. I love these chocolate jimmies. Uh huh. <laughs> I love a sprinkle in a cocktail. Oh, yeah. It's uh, wild.
0: It looks like her. Mm, it I love does. It. it does look like her. <laughs> okay, so what do you know about Maleficent? Okay, she is obviously the evil
1: character in the Sleeping Beauty franchise. Um, <laughs> from what I know, she's originally pissed because, like, she... Is also like a fairy and does not get invited to Aurora's baptism. And she's kind of annoyed. Right. And so she is the one that curses her and says like she'll prick her finger on a spinning wheel and die. Which then gets changed to she'll just be asleep. Mm -hmm. So. It got voided. It got (laughs) voided. Just a little asterisk. I know that. I know that. Obviously she became very famous in the Disney movie, and then years later Disney did like this whole maleficent series with a backstory on her that I've never seen. You but I would love would to. Love it. <laughs>
0: you and Casey would love it too. It's so good. Ooh,
1: okay. And so, so good. maybe we'll watch it this weekend. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, but that's all I know is like they kind of tried to retool her story a little bit.
0: Yeah, she's so interesting because as a Disney villain, she probably in the original cartoon has like she has quite a big screen presence but not a ton of like backstory but she is like considered in a lot of the cartoons and like the exterior stuff like the the head of the disney villains mm-hmm. like when they cast all of them together she's like the one that's in charge so she's like seen as kind of like the beginning of of those women yeah
1: i also feel like she has a very calm Controlled presence about her, so it almost makes when she flies off the handle that much more scary. Right. Well, I think it's the I don't know. I think it's the same voice actress as Lady Tremaine. It is. is. Okay. Uh And that's she also has that same thing going Mm -hmm. on of like almost the less she does, the more scary she is.
0: (laughs) She seems diabolical. Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm, Okay. I'm excited to hear her story. Okay, so I got my sources from. I did some looks into some ancient Greek mythology. I obviously re-listened to our Sleeping Beauty episode. I looked back at our Fairy Godmother episode. (laughs) I read the um, Disney fandom on Maleficent. I, as a mom of two young girls, have seen all of the Descendants movies where Mal is the main character being the daughter of Maleficent. Mm. I have seen all of the maleficent movies. I've seen Sleeping Beauty a billion times. So, this that there's a lot it mostly Disney sources. Okay.
1: Okay. We're ready.
0: <laughs> Although there are now many forms of Maleficent, most of us probably got our first introduction to her in the original Disney classic Sleeping Beauty that came out in 1959. Mm-hmm. We'll talk more about that later, but this is the first time Maleficent ever happens. Really? Her name was not mentioned in prior Sleeping Beauty, Aurora, the princess in the woods, ever in anything else. Huh, so Disney literally created this name and this character based off of other people. And as you said, The Maleficent that we know took not being invited to a baptism very seriously, (laughs) which I totally understand the social injustice of a party faux pas. Mm -hmm. So I am on board with that. So, even though her first appearance was in Disney, there are much earlier versions of this archetype character. So, if you listen to our Sleeping Beauty episode, Katie went very in depth on Sleeping Beauty and how she acted in these stories. So, I'm not retelling those stories, I'm trying to pick out the Maleficent character so we mm-hmm. can see what they were building off of. Mm-hmm. The first obvious version came from the... And this is the first obvious version, not the first ever version. <laughs> came from the Italian writer, Giambattista Basile. He spent the late 15th and 16th centuries creating and collecting what are now known as some of the oldest recorded fairy tales. One of these stories, which we've talked about in so many episodes, is called Sun, Moon, and Talia, um, an inspiration for the story Sleeping Beauty. In this version a king is told that his daughter will be in danger from a piece of flax in his kingdom so he bans the plant from his home but his daughter spins flax with an old woman and ends up with a piece of it under her fingernail which sends her into an unwakeable slumber in this story though the old woman is not purposefully evil or petty or like tr- able to turn into a magical dragon or anything. Right. She is just an old woman. It's just an accident. You know, but I think that so many, and Disney movies do this, and other stories do this, the old woman is kind of like a costume for a wicked woman. Yeah. So we see it at the beginning of Beauty and the Beast with the sorcerer. We see that the um, queen in Snow White changes mm-hmm. into an old woman to trick her to eat this apple. And I just saw this thing today. Uh on the internet as I was doing this research I was kind of sensitive to it where people were like they keep aging down Aunt May in Spider-Man and they put up a picture of Marissa Tomei because she is his aunt Aunt May in the Tom Holland version Yeah, and people commented on it and they were like no Marissa Tomei is in her 50s she yeah. has age lines mm-hmm. she like you know, aged appropriately. We just only see women on TV if they're 20 or 70. <laughs> yeah. Like it's Marissa Tomei actually looks 50. That's fine. Yeah. It's
1: like, you're either like Carrie Bradshaw on the original run of sex in the city or you're a golden girl. Like right. I, I'm, I've really been, like you said, like kind of sensitive to this thing recently about like middle aged women getting mm-hmm. to be on TV. <laughs> It's crazy that it's so new. Yeah. Especially because, like, you know, I feel like people are like, old women deserve to be on TV. Like, like, old women have actually been on TV for quite some time. We've always had old lady characters. But the middle-aged woman is usually cast as, like, she's, like, 30.
0: And it's like, wow, I'm a grandmother. It's like, what? Well, and it's so funny. I think it's some of the reason that some... Anti-age products make so much money. Yeah, is because you see a twenty-year-old, and the next day she's fifty yeah. or up to eighty. It's like there is no in-between. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very crazy. Like I don't know. So I just wanted to be really sensitive to the fact that this old woman is put in the story with this very young woman, and this old woman is the reason that Flax got under her fingernail, even if she wasn't purposefully evil. Yeah,
1: well, it's all. I think it's all under the guise too of like, oh, like the reason that people disguise themselves as old women is because, like, an old woman could never do anything Mm -hmm. wrong. (laughs) It's like... I mean, they could still. Like, let's... We've learned that's not true. (laughs) We've learned that's not true. (laughs) But I think it's, like, the ultimate, like, non-threatening person Mm -hmm. is the older woman, you know? And give her some cats, too. Exactly. Then she'll be really
0: fucking Not a raven and a (laughs) dragon. Just some cats. Okay, so next we have Charles Perot. He's another famous author and fairy tale enthusiast who's like collecting. And he has a story called The Sleeping Beauty in the Wood. This has a number of good fairies looking after a princess and one old fairy that feels left out uh, at this party and decides to curse the princess to death. One good fairy negates that curse. So that she sleeps instead of dying. So this is the first like I feel slighted as a party at a party instance. Mm -hmm. Which party etiquette is so important and people don't use it. Mm -hmm. So just really read some books everybody. Martha has some good ones. It's true. Like you can figure out how to do things appropriately.
1: Well especially because I think that people often think of it as these rules that are for no reason. And a lot of times it's actually like rules. that are going to prevent someone's feelings from being hurt. Mm -hmm. So I just want to make a case for manners. (laughs) And that like, if you look at the list and you're like, Oh, who should I invite to my wedding? And like, you're like, I'm just going to invite like, you know, whoever I want. It's like, okay. But like, then you might not remember that like your great aunt, like invited your whole family to like her daughter's wedding. And then, like, she expects an invitation. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, there's a point where, like, she might not get invited to any weddings now. Like, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have people at your wedding that, like, you literally don't know. But, like, I do think there's a case for, like, remembering the old rules of party etiquette.
0: And I will also say, in terms of new rules, I am a big Mm -hmm. proponent of pay your way. I think if somebody. So pay your way weddings are like, do not bring me a gift. I want $50 a plate. So that instead oh. of, like, if we've lived together for ten years, eight years, and now we're getting married, we don't want your money, we don't want your dish towels, but we want to pay for this big party. Like, I'm a, I am ai would much rather somebody be like, give me $50 so that I can help pay for I've the wedding. I've never heard of that before. Pay your way weddings are big in, like, people my age and, like, second weddings where it's like, we want to do this thing, but it's just impossible. So I, there are new traditions I'm very into, and oh, yeah. I bet Maleficent Would have loved to pay her way to that party. And she was not given the option, bitches. Exactly. (laughs) Rude. King Stefan. Hate you. Okay. Brothers Grimmer next. Of course, we can't get through a fairy tale without talking about these two boys. I think one of their names was Jacob, which I'm super in love with. In this version, the king throws a party for his daughter, but there's a limited amount of fairies that he's allowed to invite because he only has 12 golden plates as party favors. So when the 13th fairy shows up, she's livid at the lack of reception gifts. So she puts this curse on the princess, which is again negated by this other fairy. But there's an interesting interpretation to this story and one that I think is crucial. After, you know, about 300 A.D., post-Jesus, post-Roman Empire, there are a lot of communities who had a lunar year calendar. That has 13 months. They had 28 days. The Islamic people, the Jewish people, the Yule calendar, all of these people had 13 months, symbolized by the 13 Sons, You know, 13 separate golden plates. But this calendar, this exclusive Roman Christian calendar, only has 12 separate months. And you are now excluded from this party. Like, you are no longer a part of the institution of the world that is now kind of taking over. And I think that's such an amazing interpretation because those people do feel slighted. And it is not fair, you know, for – I mean, for – Thousands of years, the calendar was kept in 28 days. Thousands of years. And now all of a sudden, everybody else's calendars are negated and the Christian Romans have decided on this 12-month mayhem that makes no sense because all the months have different days and the moon's never the same and this, that, and the other. That is... I I don't know anything about any of this. (laughs) I mean, I, but that's why, like, um, that's why Passover moves back and forth, and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So, and, if we had thirteen
1: months, those would be at the same time. Well, they
0: just went via the uh, twenty-eight days of the moon, like a period cycle. So, your period right. would even make more sense if we had a twenty-eight-day cycle, because everything would be the same. But because we're on this thirty, thirty-one, twenty-eight leap year. So all the calendars before this just went based off of the moon. That makes more sense. Which happens 13 times. Huh. Now, it didn't take into account the actual science of how long it takes to get around the oh, sun. okay. So that's why it's divided up like that versus how many times the moon changes. Okay. So the idea of the 12 plates versus the 13 plates was like, this is the way we're going to do it now. And if you're Jewish, if you're Islamic, if you don't believe in this God, if you don't follow this new Roman Christian thing, you're excluded from the party. Interesting. Isn't I that interesting?
1: Never heard that interpretation of this version. Of I hadn't either
0: until I looked into Maleficent, and I, I was like, "Whoa, I love that!" She's an outsider from this really now group that dominates culture around the world. I don't know, pretty cool. Okay, but there's another version that comes even earlier than all these fairy tale versions. That's often overlooked because it's not a fairy tale. It's Greek mythology. And I think Maleficent's roots may have come from Greek mythology in some sort of way. So there are, in Greek mythology, these three goddesses that get invited to a party. But they forgot to give uh, Themis, the god of destiny, a knife at the party. They're supposed to be giving out these knives. Themis curses the queen's child to fall asleep due to a splinter and she will not awake until the splinter is removed and that's like this Greek goddess is like the earliest version of Maleficent I've ever heard yeah but not only that if you dive into this story even more Themis was a titan who's often associated with divine justice in law and social customs so she's like I want to make sure everybody follows the laws Everybody follows the social customs and rules so that we're all comfortable here. She's not mean or petty, like the way we usually see Maleficent. She's not wrathful. In fact, Themis was kind of disregarded sometimes as a goddess and nemesis would do the punishing for her. for her. So I think Maleficent is a combination of these two Greek I goddesses. This one who's in charge of, this is how you run a social event, and when a social event isn't run this way, her friend Nemesis kind of comes in and punishes you for that. Interesting. And I, I just, I've never really seen, like, it goes so far back. Yeah, that is...
1: I never quite... <laughs> You know, they always, kind of, they're like those memes that come around every once in a while that like, you know, Maleficent is what happens when you don't like throw a party, right? You mm-hmm. know, but this is really solidifying it for me that like, this isn't a cautionary tale about like, I don't even know, like not listening to your parents or anything, which most are about. Yeah. This is a cautionary tale about like not following social norms. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, which is really <laughs> interesting. How about with these customs? <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, I didn't read this entire poem, Greek poem, because it was super-duper boring. But there is this minor deity that got on the bad side of Artemis, the goddess of the hunt, obviously, alum of the show. (laughs) Artemis asks Nemesis to help her get revenge. Nemesis has the god of love make this lesser god fall in love with Aura, which sounds a lot like aurora Uh um who i think is mortal and the lesser god then gives this mortal lover a spinning device (gasps) like a weaving device so now we have this kind of weird love story with a spinning wheel or weaving device and we've got this god of justice and this god of punishment and i think that all of that came together to create this fairy tale yeah Very interesting. I know. I couldn't couldn't believe how far back it went. (laughs) But let's talk about Disney. Yes. (laughs) So Disney's version came out in 1959. And although it's seen as a classic now, it was like a box office bust and represented Disney's first annual loss in over a decade at that point. And while the art is beautiful and it was high tech and amazing, it just came out. To high production costs and mixed reviews. In this version, she is a much more purposeful villain. Probably the most purposeful villain Mm -hmm. she's been so far. She is insidious. She curses Aurora. She seeks out her, like... On her birthday when she's a teenager, she lures her into a room. She transforms into a spinning wheel herself. Yeah. And then she, like, instigates this curse. Then she captures Philip. She becomes a dragon. She creates a forest of thorns, only stopping when she's stuck in the heart By Philip's sword. She has a pet raven. She's really great at magic. She can teleport. She can transfigure. She has flames. She has telepathy. Mm -hmm. She is a very powerful sorceress. I'm not even going to call her a witch. She's a sorceress. I would agree with that. Clearly. That That the noise
1: (sighs) when Aurora is being mesmerized. Like still.
0: Girl. (sighs) Girl. I could walk into a room. I would walk I into walk any into room. a
1: fireplace right now. Excuse
0: me. Turn the green light on. Make it glow. <laughs> I'm coming.
1: I I have, like, nightmares about, like, those because they are
0: so visceral. It's great. Oh, my gosh. What a great movie. I know. <laughs> the animation is killer. So this was the 16th animated feature film from the Disney franchise. She was voiced by Eleanor Ald- Aldi. Aldi. Aldley, Aldley. which you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. who also voiced Lady Tremaine. The character was animated by Mark Davis, who also animated Aurora, which is very unusual. Usually you don't give the villain and the heroine to the same person. Um, Eleanor recorded some live action recordings as inspiration for the character in their book, Disney Villains, Frank and Ollie, which if you don't know who Frank and Ollie are, they're <laughs> the most famous early Disney animators. And there's a whole documentary on Disney Plus you can watch about them because they're amazing. They said Audrey's voice was, quote, a difficult assignment, but a thrilling one. <gasps> Working to that voice track with so much innuendo mixed with the fierce power. <laughs> Which is exactly what we said earlier. She's yeah. fucking bananas. She's I bananas. Love that. Okay. Maleficent, as in her name is an adjective, which means doing evil or harm. Mark decided to dismiss the standard version of witches though. He said, "When I animate her, I don't want a hag. I want an elegant, sinister beauty, a femme fatale, one might say, utilizing the classic archetype of a bad woman." Some inspiration also came from making her look like a giant vampire bat to create the feeling of menace. And Katie, what have I always told you about Angelina Jolie? <laughs> She's a vampire. <laughs> Sorry, this is it. I yeah. my, my gut instinct is always right. Yeah, it's not it's always true. right in the correct way, but it's right in some <laughs> way. And this was it. It was long rumored that Maleficent's likeness was inspired by actress, and I've never heard of this woman, malia normo i looked her up she's known for the character Vampira. i'm sure some people know exactly who she is but she was a camp actress icon in the 50s and it's malia m-a-i-l-a normo n-u-r-m-o i never even heard of her
1: yeah this is interesting
0: And so the thing is that they say for a long time it's based off of this woman. But what we know from doing this show is that like Tinkerbell, everybody's like, oh, she's based off Marilyn Monroe. But that's not actually true because they were drawing Tinkerbell well before the war when... Wait, this woman? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. When Marilyn Monroe was famous. Mm -hmm. So it's like nobody actually believed it. They're just saying it, this, that, and the other. But then... They come across, in 2014, this woman's journals. And in one of her journals, it has a date scribbled down of when she's supposed to meet with Walt Disney. (gasps) And then they try to cross-reference it with Disney's like plan book. And he refers to that date as having scheduled in a live-action reference. So she literally came in and posed... So that they could draw her as Maleficent. And she kind of looks like a Morticia Adams that's what I was say. Yeah. type person. Mm-hmm. She's very beautiful. Very dark and gothic. Yeah. Um, so that's really fun.
1: It is very interesting. The very like high pointed eye. Like very uh-huh. divine eyebrows.
0: Yes. So, the scene where she turns into a dragon was based off of a rattlesnake, and the fiery breath noise came from Disney Studios writing a request to the United States Army for a video of a flamethrower. Really? <laughs> yeah. So oh, my gosh. They wanted real flamethrowing noises from Maleficent's mouth. I love that. Yeah. <sighs> So, before I go into the live-action Maleficent, which I think is the most redeeming character of her, I want to talk about some other stupid shit. In The Descendants, which is the most new popular show, she is still and ever will be the mistress of evil. She is campy. She is wild. She's played by Kristen Chenoweth. <gasps> Who I was a good her. witch in one thing, yeah. and now is a bad witch. <laughs> she's got um, range. She's such range. But her daughter um, is Mal, and Mal is trying to break out of the shell of her mother's evil. So it's really cool because it's showing, like, you don't have to generationally be as bad as the person before you. Um, and it takes place more in present day, and if you've ever seen the movies— Mal or the daughter of maleficent falls in love with Ben the child of Belle and the beast so it is a it's a very cute story it's a story where you see as a kid that the children of villains don't have to be their parents so it's very neat but she's still a bad guy in that series and is she played by
1: Dove Cameron she is played by Dove Cameron that's interesting because they Kristen Chenoweth and Dove Cameron also played mother daughter in the hairspray live Mm -hmm. musical.
0: yeah and I mean Dove Cameron's so talented yeah Kristen Chenoweth are so talented and they do look similar so yeah and it's a very fun I mean the whole the three movie series I actually truly enjoy as a Disney fan like I find it very fun that like you know Some of the kids like Cuella DeVille's son is like scared of dogs. And I find that like there are some like really cute callbacks that I think are really cute. I like that. So, um, also in ABC's Once Upon a Time, she is not good. She's played by Kristen Bauer Van Stratton and curses Aurora and Prince Philip. So, of course, she's terrible, terrible, terrible. Mm -hmm. Other interpretations that we see of Maleficent. Um is hard because for a very long time it's easy to admit that feminism was very critical and Disney has been widely criticized by feminists like mm-hmm. and Sleeping Beauty specifically because She is naive and malleable and barely has lines in the movie. So it's really hard to watch. This is the actual quote from Wikipedia, which I think is kind of laughable by today's standards. And I think we should find a new quote, but it says the sleeping beauty tale has been disparaged by modern feminists who consider the protagonist to have no agency and find her passivity to be a, Expensive. Some feminists have even argued for people to stop telling the story altogether. <laughs> and that's not the point. The point is to retell the story in a better way. Yeah. And the reason I give us that quote first is because I think Disney has done that with the story of Maleficent. Mm-hmm. They are taking past things. Like when you tell a fairy tale... It's at the whims of the author. It's Mm -hmm. the same way, and I'm going to get criticized for this, and that's fine. It's the same way I feel about religious texts. It is at the whim of the author, and a lot Mm -hmm. of times the authors were men. Yeah. So when we interpret it in modern day, you have to reinterpret it to be better. So there are some other interpretations of the story, but... I think the best thing Disney could have done was rewrite their most famous villain. Mm -hmm. And they did that with Angelina Jolie, which I'm Team Jen, so whatever. (laughs) But Disney humanized Maleficent and gave her a backstory. It's a really actual, beautiful thing. The first Maleficent movie is about this kingdom with a lot of magic and of Mm -hmm. course people are uncomfortable with magic and there's a young version of maleficent who has these big wings and this cute almost like potato sack dress because she's a fairy Uh and she lives in just this magical world and then there's um stefan who's eventually going to be the king we know and Mm -hmm. stefan is kind of of the typical English nobility Mm -hmm. right like it kind of mixed with fairy tales they end up spending all their time together and they grow from friends to lovers as they age but then when Stefan wants to gain um he wants to gain respect with the king at that time who's King Henry he Drugs Maleficent and cuts her wings off in (gasps) his sleep. In her sleep, no, um, to take these wings to the king. So, there is this just, I mean, gut wrenching scene where Angelina Jolie wakes up alone with these like open wounds on her back. Oh my god, and she's just sobbing. And of then, of course, you see that Stefan becomes king. And, of course, he's not going to invite his ex-girlfriend yeah. to his new baby's baptism. Uh-huh. So it's like it really vindicate, vindicates her anger and uh-huh. makes you understand, like, she is a person who has been set aside. She shows up, curses the princess. There isn't a counter curse because she doesn't curse the princess to death. She does the sleeping thing uh-huh. with the true love's kiss. Um And, of course, there's spoilers because this is an old movie. But throughout the movie, Maleficent watches these three bumbling fairies try to raise her, and she's the one that keeps saving her life every time something bad happens. Just, like, in the background. Like, she sends her shadow dragon to, like, keep her from falling off a cliff. And over the years, she starts to fall in love with this beautiful Mm -hmm. little child. And then when Aurora eventually obviously falls asleep. Prince Philip comes in and kisses her and it doesn't work because true love can't happen like that. Yeah. So Maleficent walks over and kisses her on the forehead oh. and she wakes up <gasps> because Maleficent is the one who has loved Aurora for all these years protecting yeah. her. And it just, the second Maleficent <sighs> movie is fine, but it is such a redeeming story yeah. for this person that we've just called petty for all Mm -hmm. these years but we don't know why she wasn't invited to the story Mm -hmm. and this gave us a why he drugged her cut her wings off Mm -hmm. delivered her wings to like an evil man like it's a gut-wrenching scene for a disney movie yeah it sounds awful (laughs) um i highly suggest a watch and i just think What we can do for women is tell their whole story. When you tell one party, that's bad Mm -hmm. because obviously she looks petty at that party, but you didn't tell the whole story. Yeah. So that's her story. Her entire, entire story. I love it. If you guys have not seen Disney's Maleficent, please watch it. It's so, so good. I
1: love that. All right. Well, we need to talk about these two women together in a little segment we like to call Just, Just
0: the Two of Us.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. So these are obviously two women who have some sort of power position, but are also kind of on the outside.
0: <laughs> yeah. They are kind of treated as a little bit extra, mm-hmm. a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, but also they're very feared and revered. Yes, Mm -hmm. and both of them,
1: it's almost like the reason they're being feared is that they're actually making use of the power that they have because the norm, (laughs) it seems, is like, Oh, well, you're, yes, you're Empress, but in, like, kind of, like, title only. Like, you don't have any actual power, well, you know? the
0: norm is the three bumbling fairies. Flora, exactly. Fauna, and merryweather. Right, mm-hmm. right? It's like, this is what you're supposed to do. Pretend to make a cake and raise a baby. You exactly. know? It's, like, very um, patronizing. It is. And I feel like
1: it's what happens when, like, women actually step into their power and they get vilified for it in history because no one <laughs> has known what to quite do with that. It, wait, that, did I say that right? Yeah. No one knows what to quite do with that. You know, it's like, and that's the problem with like people telling their stories over time is they can be as good or as bad as you want them to be. Mm-hmm. You can tell as little or as much of the story as you want, and you can get very different results.
0: Okay. <laughs> And I was obsessed when you were talking about the fact that Theodora could entertain and Mm -hmm. throw a good party because I think that that was such an important part of Mm -hmm. Maleficent's story. And every one of us has a friend who throws a shitty party and throws a good party. There's that friend that always invites a whole bunch of people and nobody ever wants to go. And then it's just you and that couple sitting on the couch alone because nobody ever wanted to show up. And it's like, you you tried, but there's something that's wrong about it. And then you have that friend that okay. it's just like a blowout. Even if there's only 10 people there, you're yeah. all like, this is the most fun I've ever mm-hmm. had in my life, you mm-hmm. know? And I just think that, like, Theodora could throw a good-ass party. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: <laughs> in terms of, I guess we're talking about, like, parties and social norms and, like, I like, kind of, like, doing what makes the most – sense in terms of like not hurting people's feelings you know we're talking about like inviting people to weddings is so dicey right now because you have what you kind of want to do and then you have what's right and i think you have to find like a common ground and you have what's reasonable yes yes exactly so i'm not saying like just invite anyone your mother tells you to obviously no but like i think that feelings have to be considered and i'm thinking about this in terms of the code of justinian right now we are in an age where we're we, we're rewriting social rules for weddings and stuff and i kind of like that we're not just saying like none of the rules from the past make sense anymore mm-hmm. we're retooling them to fit what works now what works within people's budgets with within what works what works within people's social lives mm-hmm. and i think that's what the code of justinian did as well is they're like okay let's Rewrite this. Mm-hmm. Let's take out things that are totally archaic. Like, I love that on my wedding checklist, it was like get a blood test to make sure that you're not related because that's actually still a thing in some states. <laughs> like, but and I think that that could have prevented a lot of the issues with Maleficent. Is like, what makes sense? Does it make sense to cut off Maleficent's wings and take them to your mother? No. You're still going to rule, but just maybe you'll be a different kind of king than your father. Right. Like, you're choosing to continue the tradition of mayhem mm-hmm. and you're making her a victim of that.
0: Well, and I also think what's important is that we do have to take, and I don't think we ever do, is take King Stefan's wife into account. Because mm-hmm. if the story is mm-hmm. that this mm-hmm. is his actual ex, mm-hmm. then we do have to acknowledge that she might not want her there At the baptism of their new baby. So it could be also her feelings being taken into account. And I think that it's fair for you and a partner or you and a parent to sit down with a pro cons list and be like, what are your three most important things? What are my three most important Mm -hmm. things? And let's compromise. And then you can say if something happens that goes awry or someone's upset, we've all agreed Mm -hmm. that that person is allowed to be upset. Yeah. Which is fair. Yeah, That can happen. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, nobody's ever going to come out happy on every end of a party situation. Somebody's going to get too drunk. Somebody's going to say something stupid. Someone's not going to be invited. Somebody's not going to be in the picture they wanted to be in. Mm-hmm. So you just have to, like, make it happen. Yeah. What is interesting, too, that, like, we have these two very strong,
1: powerful women that can be <laughs> written, again, as evil as you want them to or as good as you want them to. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they both have a... <laughs> A good to evil range and they can be anywhere on the spectrum Mm -hmm. um but also one big difference between them is that maleficent is doing everything alone and theodora obviously has this very strong partner because one of the things i like about theodora's story is it's not that justinian is weak no he's not it's just that he's choosing to allow her to be a partner with him and it almost makes me think like what if again if we're going with the maleficent like disney story with angelina jolie like what if stefan had chosen to include her in a new chapter of the kingdom's life right you know like maybe she could have been the theodora not just his wife but like still maleficent like I love that Theodora is just called Empress Theodora. Like I didn't know anything about the Byzantine Empire. So I didn't even know that Justinian was a person. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so I, I think that Maleficent could have been that could have been this like real force of like good in this kingdom. And then it was just totally stripped away because no one was willing to make her an equal partner because Stefan was not a strong enough man to handle her, and I think justinian he was a strong enough man to be like, "Yeah, my wife is badass, and I fucking love her, and she can do whatever she wants
0: and I think this whole <laughs> magical fairy thing is similar to be being- an being an actress and sex worker. Oh yeah. Like it is like saying, Hey, you're a lesser than you're a different uh-huh. quote unquote creature and I'm going to accept you in, or I'm going to shun you away and make sure that your life is a living hell. Yeah, And like, it's just, it's, it's a crazy, I don't know. I, I also felt like the fact that Justinian like, went into, like, a coma because of the plague was very cool that he fell asleep. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. He fell asleep while she was leading, whereas Maleficent is causing this sleep Mm -hmm. to happen to the people in the kingdom.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like it. That's so true. It is a
0: plague, right? Like, a curse is a plague. That's what we thought they were before we understood science.
1: Yeah. Well, and if you go in, like, some version of the story, like... The whole kingdom falls asleep yes. with her.
0: Yeah, everybody's asleep for a hundred years. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I didn't even think about the connection between yeah, the plague and and the eternal sleep.
0: <laughs> and I mean, isn't that? I mean, it's ancient Greece and Rome. That's where these fairy tales came from. The idea mm-hmm. of falling asleep, having a curse, like a evil fairy coming and cursing your whole land. This these are the people. The people in your story are the people who wrote these stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I honestly wouldn't be surprised if there are some people who like fucking hated Theodora. So they were like, there's a woman mad with power.
0: <laughs> <laughs> she made us all cursed. Trying us and...
1: to ruin the world. <laughs> yeah.
0: She took over the king and yes. cursed his children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, those are the people who wrote these stories. That's yep. where we get them all from. Mm. So interesting. Mm.
1: All right. Well, who would you like to toast this evening?
0: I want to toast women who are angry for a deeper reason and... You may have only run into that woman at one party or one event and she's like angry with her partner and you're just like on your way home and you're like, that was so petty, blah, 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 blah. Uh But there's something behind it and I think it's not fair for us to judge women on one instance, which we're so ready to do Mm -hmm. and we don't do that to men. So if you're pissed and it's been 10 years in the making, (laughs) go for it. Cheers. Cheers. Who do
1: you want to toast? I'm going to toast the woman, the women who would rather die as queen. <laughs> <laughs> Me. Yeah, cheers. Go out on top.
0: Oh.
1: I just got to get there first. God, I fucking love that part of her story. Yeah. Where she's she's like, oh, I'm like,
0: sorry. I'd rather die than get on that boat and have half the money. <laughs> yeah. Which I fucking love. Yeah. Good for her. <laughs> good
1: for her. All right. Now, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week?
0: This is one I think you're really going to like. Ooh, okay. I started reading this book series. Uh-huh. And the first book is called A Good Girl's Guide to Murder. Ooh. And it's this little high school girl named Pippa. And she starts investigating this murder in her town. And, like, it's kind of like... um. serial where she's kind of like investigating around the police and finding out what's actually happening Mm -hmm. it's just a really cute it's a three books I've only read the first two she ends up turning it into a podcast of course because that's (laughs) the whole thing but it's it's a really cute story about this high schooler investing it's a good murder mystery I like it I and I I love the idea of teenage girls finding their power through podcasting yeah. and through writing, because I think a lot of people don't listen to women and they especially don't listen to young girls oh, for sure. So all it's a right. cute book about that. <laughs> it gives power to young girls and it's definitely readable for late middle school, all of high school, yeah. easy for college. I love it as an adult. So yeah, Perfect. <laughs>
1: All right. I can't remember if I've recommended this yet or not, but I'm going to recommend the show Veep. Um, speaking of like bad women in power. Hell yeah. I So Casey and I have been watching. because so I was like, this show is filmed in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I love Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I've only heard people rave about this show. I was like, I've never seen it. I want to watch it. So we started a couple months ago, took a break, got back into it. And it is really wild. And the thing I love about it is like, it is funny. And people in D.C. have said that it is the most realistic portrayal <laughs> of, Good. of D.C. Because they're like, you know, we love shows like, you know, the West Wing and like, you know, uh, fucking the Kevin Spacey show. House you know, of Cards. House of Cards. They're like, but frankly, it's not really that dramatic. Like, <laughs> the stakes are high for sure. But it's really just a bunch of fucking crazy people that are like working here
0: that have filthy mouths. And like, I remember know? Barack Obama said that he was like, I wish my life was that interesting. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I wish my life was house of cards. It's not.
1: Um, but yeah, I think that it's really funny. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is so fucking good in it. A and perfect I, woman. And I love that it is a show just about this unhinged woman, like <laughs> running for president and like being so fucking crazy. We let men
0: do that all the time. We do. I- <laughs> She's
1: the, this perfect kind of comedic anti-hero mm. or like. I just I love her. I love Selena Meyer's character so much because she's so terrible. Mm. She's so terrible, <laughs> and uh, I love it. And so yeah, I'm gonna recommend Veep. It's a great show. <laughs> all right, and it only gets better as it goes on too. Oh, so good. like, I like the later seasons more than the first season actually, which is <laughs> uh, I think a good I think a good sign of a show. So, anyways, all right. Well, thank you for listening. This has been delightful. Um, If you want more of this conversation, you can join our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. And here is chat about God knows what after this episode is done. We always
0: talk about the best things and really personal things too. People on the show were like thanking us two weeks ago. What? Yeah, about what i did in january oh yes yeah, so i we're, forgot people are like we also
1: reveal secrets about the show yeah, like people, a little secret about january this year. yeah people are like
0: that was amazing thank you for sharing i yeah. love that that's yeah, very um, cool
1: so yeah if you want to be a part of that just come join our patreon it's so much fun
0: um and, but for free you yeah. can follow us literally everywhere. Yeah, and exactly. then we also put out book episodes every week. I know not all our regular listeners listen to our book interviews, mm-hmm. but even if you don't necessarily listen to the whole interview, like scope on the book, because they are typically women writing about women. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's men writing about women. Sometimes it's women writing about fiction, but we're just trying to like rep women from the now at the same time that we're repping women from history. Exactly. So join us
1: on all that for Cocktail Tipsy Tuesdays. We're all over the place, guys. And if you wouldn't mind, go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a little rate and review for us to show us that you're listening, to show us that you like the show. If you don't like it, don't leave a review. That <laughs> doesn't make me feel or good. Or leave a really
0: funny bad review so I can yes. post it. Yes. I would love that.
1: Um, <laughs> and then join us for our live show on March twenty. 7th 4th 4th March 24th March 24th we're doing a live zoom show it's gonna be great details to come um but most of all we want you to never forget that well-behaved women oh I
0: wrote something down (laughs) oh they don't turn into dragons yeah they (laughs) rarely make history (laughs) Goodbye. goodbye